Hi, everyone. It's Aline. We'll get started in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that this episode has some descriptions of bullying that a child is facing, and it might be triggering for some people. So if it's going to be traumatic for you, please don't listen and tune in next week. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by, oh gosh, I, I got it wrong last time, Nicole Tompkins-Hughes. Nailed it. <laughs> as my son would say, you nailed it. Yes. So um, as previously said. Uh, Nicole is a repeat guest. You can listen to her on episode 55. If you missed that previously, that'll be in the show notes Um, because this is kind of a follow-up episode to that. Um, So uh, Nicole, do you want to summarize what we talked about or do you want me to tackle it? I listened to the episode today, so. Oh, you're dedicated. I am. Um, So from my memory, I went on way too many tangents and I spoke really fast, which I've I've done a good job in my life of getting better at. So I'm going to try and speak slower this time. Um, But we talked a lot about um, the experience that I had as a speaker at Boston Fig and PAX East talking about parenting and gaming and issues and positives that come out of that. And then also talking a little bit about being a parent of a child who is gender nonconforming or has a typical gender preferences um, and specifically how that impacts our family life. Um, And then my plan today was to kind of revisit that, but looking at it from a perspective of um, how the public school specifically has has handled that um, for better, for worse, et cetera. So, yeah, um, that's that's better than I would have put it. And I will say like, um, I got a lot of positive feedback on that episode, uh, mostly on Twitter. So I think you saw pretty much everything that I did. I didn't get emails about it that I didn't forward or anything, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's an excellent episode. I did a lot of nodding along, um, as you were talking about, you know, your parenting philosophies and, you know, uh, the the things that that you want for for your kids and that kind of thing I was like yes this is what I would do if I had kids and um, re-listening you know last night and today I was still nodding a lot going like yes um, <laughs> so it's it's like to summarize it's a good episode if you haven't heard it please listen um, <laughs> yes please listen I actually just added it to my Tumblr today. My I have a Tumblr called cnicolewright.tumblr.com. And I was like, why did I not put this uh, on here? Let's slap yeah. this on there. <laughs> it's not writing, but it's things that I think and I'm just saying them out loud. It's it's writing with voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can run with that. Um, so one of the focuses of the episode was, again, talking about your son who... Um, who identifies as a boy, who says he's a boy. He likes his, you know, quote unquote boy name and, you know, like all these things, but he likes um, some things that are considered girly, like um, Hello Kitty and um, My Little Pony um, dolls and, you know, stuff like that. Um, And, and um, pink, pink clothes. And at that point he had a dress. Um, Yep. So, um, long hair but he's had his hair cut since then right he has yeah i was gonna say that he um he decided 
about three weeks, I think, after the podcast, um, maybe two weeks after the podcast aired. Um, generally speaking, when whenever he was due for a haircut, we would always kind of have the standard, like, do you want to leave it long? Do you want to cut it short? Um, and typically his response was, dear God, don't cut my hair. Um, and, you know, can I cut my, can I leave it long? Can I grow it out? And we've always just said, that's no problem. You can grow it out, but we have to trim it so that it stays healthy and it's not knotted because he doesn't like having his hair brushed because who does? Um, and so especially when it gets knotted, you know, and we just said, look, we have to cut the ends and we won't cut more than, you know, and we showed him like a penny and said, we won't cut more than taller than this penny. Um, the long way of the penny, not the, not the, not the depth of the penny. Right. Um, and so, uh, every once in a while, you know, oh, I want to cut my hair short like daddy. And we would say, okay, that's fine. Let's look at some pictures. Um, and so this time, you know, he did the typical, like, oh, I want to cut my hair short like daddy. No, never mind. I don't. And then we got there and he sat down and we had reviewed the pictures and he had definitively said, I want to keep it long. I just want a little bit cut off. And she started getting ready to, she, she had the scissors about an inch and a half away from his hair. And he just yelled out, I want to cut it off. I want to cut it off. I want to cut it short. We were like, okay, that's fine. So we showed the stylist the pictures that he had liked, um, which is the haircut that's very similar to his dad's. It's um, it's like the traditional um, current hipster short all the way around and a little bit of the front is long, like very the guy from Treasure Planet. Um, if, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, the animated movie Treasure Planet. Um, but a little less intense. So we should find a, I'll find a picture of that and I'll pass it over to you. Okay. Um, but it's, yes, it's kind of like a reverse mullet ish, but shorter. Um, cause he wanted to, he wanted it to look a lot like his dad's and he likes it. Um, you know, every once in a while he has some second thoughts, but it's more like he's looking to us for reassurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say the number one thing that it got so bad that I almost I almost posted on Facebook about it publicly. Um, everyone saying things like his hair looks so good now and he looks so handsome now and he looks so good now. And like, Mm-mm. I can't even handle how every single time someone said that to him, I could just see his reaction of being like internalizing that like, oh, it wasn't good before. Mm. Um, and like, he's only five. I get that. But it it became apparent when he started asking me, did you like my hair before? Like, you know, he, he's only five. So his communication is kind of limited, but it became very clear that he was worried that people like him better now, or people thought he was better now. And not just that they were so, um, you know, taken aback by the change that they were reacting a little bit more, um, vocally or with excitement than they would if it had just been like two inches cut off and he didn't really know how to how to understand that so it's been a it's been a roller coaster but he's still got the short hair and he's coming up on a follow-up haircut and he says he wants to keep it short so we're gonna roll with that so that's fun that's where we're at on that <laughs> well i'm glad he still likes it though Yes. Yeah. It was, we were very, very concerned that he would change his mind and then panic and Mm -hmm. want it all back. Um, so thankfully he likes it. Um, he looks so much more grown up. It was, it's insane. He looks like two years older now. Um, and we, people, people keep commenting on it. Um, but yeah, it's, and the, the other thing that was really surprising is how many people were like, oh, you let him cut his hair short to which I wanted to say, um, oh, you're going to have that fun noise. Um, to which I wanted to say, go fuck. <laughs> 
himself because he decided when he wanted to that he was ready and we had nothing to do with that you know we offered him the many choices and he picked which choice was appropriate for him and then when he felt that it was time to make a change he chose that and he directed you know which way he wanted it cut you know and during the during this the haircut session he was telling the woman you know no I want it shorter here don't don't cut that any shorter and you know he could say when he had had enough which unfortunately was about two-thirds of the way through yeah that's usually Um, when I'm done with haircuts too yeah and so then she then he had to sit there and she had to do all like the little trim pieces on the edges and he was not interested in that at all so it'll be fun getting his hair trimmed when basically it's all that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah I, I there was a very probably about a week or so where I just spent all of my time biting my tongue and being like yes yes it looks good yes he looks older and f you f you f you f you f you in particular and thank you very much <laughs> well I think that um part of it is that people aren't used to kids especially younger kids having agency over things like how they're going to have their hair styled yeah which is so weird. <laughs> yeah, I've known parents of girls who have, you know, their their kids' hair is, you know, down to their butts, and um, mm-hmm. and the parent they'll be like, "I want to get my hair cut short," and they'll be like, "No, you'll look like a boy," or "No, Ugh. you won't like it." And it's like, well, I think you're really projecting on that child, what you know, yep. and it's hair; it grows back. You know, it's yep. not like they're stuck with short hair forever if they don't. I just, I don't get it. Yeah. It's, um, when I was working as a waitress, um, this, not this past summer, but summer beforehand, there was a girl who came in with her family and they were vacationing and it was kind of one of those things where I wasn't a hundred percent sure if she was a girl or a boy because she was wearing like baggy jeans, but she had on a purple shirt that had tufted sleeves, like, like the little bell sleeves mm-hmm. that girl that are typical girl style and, um, short hair. Um, and I think after the fact, I noticed that she had earrings on, but that they were like studs that I didn't really notice right away. And I, I didn't even say like, you know, I didn't say any particularly boy adjectives or boy pronouns. I think I said buddy. Um, and then I and then she kind of made a comment and she was like, oh, you know, it's so frustrating. And I was like, and this girl was like seven. <laughs> and she just she 100 percent put me in my place. And she and her family, it was her mom and her sister, started laughing. And they explained that she had decided to donate her hair to cancer and that she didn't have enough hair to be able to get it cut to shoulder length, but she was so committed to donating her hair that she just went ahead and got a pixie cut. And she said that every single day since then, not one person had been able to accurately pronoun her, whatever, refer to her with the correct pronouns. Um, and that it was like a running joke now. And that she, she was, it was so interesting. She was like, I was wearing a skirt and a pink shirt and a headband and people kept calling me a boy. And so it was really interesting having a seven-year-old or, I mean, from appearances, seven, maybe eight-year-olds talk to me about her experience of being misgendered mm-hmm. based on her hairstyle. Um, and the way that her family was like, yeah, it happens. We just, you know, sometimes we don't even correct people. Sometimes we do. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what we do with my 
my house. <laughs> um, but it's so weird that society is so committed to a either like deciding for their children, like, yes, you can do this or no, you can't do this based on my perception of what you should be doing mm-hmm. or B, they let them do what they want. And then it becomes everyone else's job in society to pass judgment on that. Like, who are you? And, and no, no, you do not. <laughs> so it's been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. People. <laughs> people People. (laughs) so how's school going um so uh he started school uh the first week of september and so they've been in school for about six weeks now i want to say and or i think it was the second week of september started something like that um you know it's 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 been up and down um he really enjoys school he really enjoys his classroom um i had had some advanced sit downs and conversations with his teacher to kind of give her a heads up like hey these are some of the issues we've faced in the past um you know he has worn a dress to school one time we're we're supportive of that we want to make sure that you're supportive of that you know we'll do our best to communicate with you if that's a thing that's going to happen you know we'll give you a call that morning to let you know in advance we're happy to do any kind of in-classroom volunteering or you know donate materials or whatever it is that you feel would would help your classroom support him just like they would any other student um and his teacher was like oh yeah that's totally fine she's she's really really great she's very supportive um she's very understanding especially where he does have some special needs as well she was willing to kind of talk to us about what we felt would be the best support for him as opposed to just saying oh i'll read the iep and make my own decisions Mm -hmm. so that was really reinforcing and really supporting for us um it was a good sign i guess and just for people who don't know that i an iep is a individualized education plan yeah that um people that educators and assessors basically come up with to um make sure or hopefully make sure that children with special needs are having those needs met exactly yeah for for lucas his iep largely um reflects his language deficits he has issues with receptive language so if you say to him what's your favorite color he will likely respond with some kind of rote like either he will respond with something completely unrelated like oh i like trains um or he'll he'll say something like that's funny like or something completely you know off the rails like because he just doesn't understand Mm -hmm. so his iep has a lot of a lot of instructions in there about um how the teachers and instructors who deal with him need to communicate his tasks so they are um they're required to break down his tasks into no more than three steps at a time and they're required to ask him if he understands especially if it's a new task they're required to ask him if he understands and then they have to remember that he's going to say yes he understands even when he does not understand so they have to ask him to demonstrate that he understands so if they say you know your instructions are to cut out the ghosts and then match the ghosts to the correct color windows and then glue the ghosts to the right windows based on matching colors. Then he he has to be able to say back, I'm going to cut out these ghosts and I'm going to put the red ghost on the red window and the blue ghost on the blue window and I'm going to use my glue to glue them on. Um, and then at that point, they're allowed to you know, move, move along and then judge him on his um, performance. 
as opposed to saying to everyone at the same time, you know, you're going to cut out the ghosts, you're going to match the ghosts by color and you're going to glue them on. And then if he does not do that accurately, judging him negatively or saying that he didn't complete the project, they have to make sure that they're following his instructed IEP of how they communicate with him and how they verify that he understands the instructions. So it's it's a really good safeguard. And thankfully, his IEP is actually that's basically his IEP. That's that's the largest part of it. Um, and he has speech therapy that he goes to to work on his receptive language and his ability to communicate with his peers and to um, handle social and emotional cues, etc. Um, so it's, it's pretty good. Um, and it's, it's a good tool. There's a lot of things that you can get when you have an IEP that you can't get without one. Um, to the extent that I've always, always, always said to people that if you have any, even a tiny, tiny, tiny inkling in the back of your mind, like maybe this isn't 100% where my child should be, it's worth having them evaluated because it's not traumatic. It's, you know, they sit down with someone who asks them questions and validates whether or not they are performing those responses to the average of their peers. Um, and then, you know, scales them accordingly and sees where they fall on that scale. And if they fall perfect, then great, you've got validation that there's nothing wrong. If they fall, you know, on the edge, then they say, this is what you need to watch for. And if you don't achieve this, come back. Or if they fall below, having an IEP, even if like Lucas was a point and a half below the autism spectrum, meaning he was outside of it. Um, and having that IEP enabled him to get a home behavioral therapist to deal with his anger and his, um, impulse control issues, as well as his social and emotional issues, as well as his language at home. And it also enabled him to get speech therapy. And it also enabled us to get childcare vouchers to subsidize him being able to go to a childcare program that could support his needs um, in a safe and healthy environment for him, as opposed to just us sending him to the cheapest possible place we could afford. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a very, very, very good tool to have. Um, and it's definitely nothing scary or bad or stigmatizing or whatever. It's a really, really good thing. Yeah. And it's also um, because I have a background in this kind of thing. So for the listeners who don't know, if you're a homeschooler, school districts are required to provide support to you. So it doesn't have to be yes. just like my kid is in public school and we can get the support. It's a district-wide thing that is required for all children. So if mm -hmm. your child has special needs is and has, you know, is has identified special needs, um, According to these tests, um, they might have a, a class that they go to in the public school once a week or, you know, whatever, um, or even like like Lucas had, you know, in-home behavioral specialists or speech therapists or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. needs to happen. Um, so like, I want to encourage people to do that because I've, I've, uh, yeah. you know, I've, my mom was uh, a special ed like specialist. So, and I, I helped do a lot of these evaluations. So yeah, and they're, I mean, they're, and they're good evaluations. They're really good tools because you can kind of talk to them and you can talk to the evaluators and say, what are things that I can be doing to check in with my child to make sure that he or she is on track? You know, what are things that would be red flags? You know, for Lucas, when he was about 13 months old, he or when he was 12 months old, he could say, Mama and Dada, stop. 
and no. And then when he was 13 months old, he stopped saying mama and dada. Um, And what we've figured out with him that during his earlier years, when he was about to master a new physical goal, like walking for the first time or climbing the stairs for the first time or running for the first time, he would regress with his language goals. So he would stop, like he stopped saying mama and dada, and then he started walking. And about two weeks after he was really mastering walking, which only took about two more weeks. Um, He not only started saying mama and dada again, but he started saying three word phrases. Mm -hmm. So like his brain was still working, but he had lost his ability to communicate those existing words, um, which is, I guess, a pretty normal thing for boys, especially. Um, But that behavior carried on far enough that they saw it at the school level and that they agreed that it could be detrimental to his education, um, which is absolutely accurate because we see it basically every time he has a growth spurt, he regresses in some area of his academic or cognitive learning. So um, it's it's huge. And um, I would love to get your feedback, Aline, something that I'm curious about. Um, I've tried to talk to the school about the fact that I feel that because of his interests and because of his issues with bullying, um, with being bullied, and because of the fact that his, his being bullied stems largely from his having atypical gender preferences, which the school feels is abnormal or different to the extent excuse me, that he needs to be kept away from other students to for his own safety, uh, that that in its own right is something that should qualify him as an IEP student. That having a child who is going to have their education be threatened by other children bullying them for who they are, just from being who they are, that that child deserves an individualized education plan to protect them and support them by the school taking steps to ensure that. Wow. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I cannot speak on this as a former educator, um, but I, as a diversity advocate, um, that is really icky. <laughs> what, that he's being ostracized? Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's the technical term. It is icky um, that he is being institutionally separated from other students. Um, mm-hmm. I know that teachers have a lot to do. Um, However, I feel like like it is their responsibility to educate the class yeah. on yeah. on different kinds of people instead of separating different kinds of people out. They should be working to help the classroom be an inclusionary place. Yeah. I agree. It is not going to solve the bullying issue is not going to go away by ignoring it, which is basically what they're doing by separating him out. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm super disturbed right now. So, Oh yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of jumped the gun. I feel like maybe we should come back to that question so that maybe you can understand my context when I say that I think it's something that should be a qualifier for enacting an IEP. Um, because it's 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 a problem um and I, I think it's a more widespread problem than most educators or academics would be willing to admit um because being bullied and the the side effects of being bullied 100 percent affect your ability to learn and interact in a learning environment um if that environment is where you're being bullied i 100 percent think is connected yeah yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if this is a good segue to kind of tell you where where the status quo as is with his situation. 
um if that's cool with you yeah. i can do that okay um so at the beginning of the school year we went and picked out lucas's school supplies and he picked out a whole array of things um he picked out a hello kitty um backpack which was a um just like a plain backpack and then on the face of it was uh <laughs> i think it's supposed to be rainbow zebra print it's like black with zebra style striping on it and the striping is different colors like rainbow colors and it's got a sheen of glitter um and then it's got hello kitty's face right in the middle <laughs> um and so he was so down on that backpack he was like this is the one that i need i need this one and then he wore it around the store that we were at until i bought it for him um and then he got a batman pencil box and he got a paw patrol lunchbox um which is the neat little animal show on nickelodeon that's a lot of fun um and he got purple scissors and he got pencils that were um, fluorescent, like a like an array of fluorescent colors, not necessarily a rainbow, but like orange, green, yellow, blue, purple, fluorescent colors. Okay. Um, so he kind of, you know, he's kind of all over the map um, and his, you know, his backpack isn't really something that he uses in the classroom. It's really just a, it's a thing. It's a tool that you use to get to and from home. Right. That's really all it is. Um, so it was, it was interesting to watch him select his, his choices um, because he's very purposefully picked up. Like for example, he picked up a, a My Little Pony notebook and then put it back in favor of a plain notebook and said, well, I think I should have this one for school for using in my classroom. But then he went, straight over and got the Hello Kitty backpack, no problems. And he's like, I can carry this on the bus and I can put it in my cubby and it can carry all my stuff. And they had some really cool um, lunch boxes and he, you know, he kind of did that like lingering eye and then picked up the the um, Paw Patrol and was like, oh, I know this boy and this boy and they also like Paw Patrol. So that'll be good. I can show them that at lunch. So it was interesting to see how a five-year-old was classifying his choices based on how his peers would pick them up. And I think that's a huge opportunity because I know a lot of parents of kids that age just go on either on Amazon or go into the store because it's a hassle to drag your five-year-old right. in the store um, and say, oh, my child loves Paw Patrol. I'm just going to deck them out with Paw Patrol or my child loves Sophia the First. I'm going to deck them out with Sophia the First. Um, so it was very, very interesting, you know, social experiment to watch him pick out his own things. Um, and he went nuts for them. And um, he was so excited and he he actually had no qualms about his backpack. He had no qualms about anything. He was like super excited. We had a um, an orientation morning and he he wore all of his, you know, he brought all of his equipment in and he wore his backpack all around the school you know, head held high, no problems. He, um, you know, he had a first, a first day of school and he rode the bus in and he rode the bus home and he was all smiles. My day was so great. Um, of course, the second day of school, he got sick, puked everywhere and had to come home for two days. Oh, no. <laughs> as is the normal, <laughs> as is the normal first day of school procedure, go to school day one, come home <laughs> sick for the rest of the week. Um, so it, we didn't really get to, to see how he was settling in until, you know, about halfway through the second week of school. And, uh, and of course, then there was a holiday. So, you know, it took a while for us to kind of get what was going on. Mm -hmm. And 
so one day he came home from school and I noticed that his um, clip-ons that he has on his backpack, which is a ballerina Hello Kitty and a Rainbow Dash, he has those little clipped onto his zipper poles and they weren't on his backpack. And so I immediately got worried that maybe they had been taken away, like we broke some rule that he wasn't supposed to send them in or something. Um so I took the, I opened up his backpack to get his stuff and they were just sitting right there. And I was like, oh, okay. So I clipped him back on and just said, oh, hey, you know, I clipped these back on. Is that okay? And he said, yep, yep, no problem. And he didn't say anything about it. And then a couple of days later, I found them in his backpack again. And so I was like, all right, well, clearly there's something going on. So I asked him about it and he told me that there were some boys on the bus who had taken his backpack and thrown his backpack down the bus while it was moving so that he couldn't get it. And that before they threw it, they held onto it on the other side of the aisle, like they picked it up off the floor and they were holding it and they wouldn't give it back to him. And because he wasn't allowed to get up out of his seat, he couldn't get it back. And because they were halfway down the bus, he couldn't, the bus driver didn't hear him yelling that he needed her to get his backpack back for him. And that when it was almost time to get to his stop. They threw his backpack down the bus so that he had to go down to the other end of the bus and sit by himself with his backpack until they got to his stop. And then he was able to walk all the way to the front with his backpack. Um, so that happened. Um, and I was ripped. Right. <laughs> I was not pleased. Um, and so then, you know, we kind of got a little more information and we found out that these same kids um, were reprimanded for doing that. Um, I was never told, which infuriated me. Right. Um, neither the bus driver nor the school told me that that had happened. And then apparently they felt that they had handled that situation and that it was never going to happen again. And that was why they didn't tell me. So apparently those boys then moved on to teasing him about his clip-ons and telling him that they were going to take his clip-ons off and throw them out the bus windows. Um, and that was why he had started unclipping them and putting them into his backpack. And he said that he was putting them into his backpack at the end of the day so that they wouldn't be on his backpack when it was time to come home from school. Um, and I guess that the majority of these problems were happening on the way home from school as opposed to on the way into school. Um, and I think that's probably because he's one of like, he's like the last, one of the last four stops on the bus. So it's a pretty quick ride from our house to the school. Um, and honestly, I think they're just not awake enough to piss each other off. Right. Um, so that was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, we had a conversation with him. We, you know, went through the standard regime that he he knows very well. You know, you have to tell someone and, you know, if you want to take your clips off, that's fine. We could get you different clips. And, you know, he didn't he didn't want to get different clips. And we we gave him the option and we said we could get you some Minecraft clips. And so he, he asked if he could get Minecraft clips in addition to his <laughs> existing clips. So we did, we got him a Minecraft clip. He got a, um, one of those squid, the, I think they sell them at GameStop or something, but it's a squid that clips on. And, um, he put that right next to his rainbow dash and his hello kitty. And, um, you know, we kind of, we started checking in with him a little more aggressively, like, you know, how was your bus ride and who did you talk to and who did you sit with? And, um, you know, things seem to be kind of going okay. So if I could interrupt for just a second, yeah, go ahead. what, 
is there a continuing like plan for the bus? Is that something that you're coming to or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cause okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm warning now I might end up crying when I talk about this cause it upsets me so okay. much. Um, so eventually we got sick of this kind of like not knowing what was going on, but, and that, and then that ties into his, his language deficits. He's not a very good historian. So he would say to us that something had happened and we would find out that it had happened a week prior. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, because you know he'll say like for example he told me today that his ipad died tomorrow um when in reality his ipad died on sunday <laughs> and it's been charged ever since so he was just casually telling me that his ipad had died tomorrow um just so that i would know that it had died already on sunday <laughs> maybe he's clairvoyant um, yeah, I mean, hey, it's very possible that his iPad will die tomorrow. <laughs> he does not remember to charge it very well. Um, but yeah, so we we kind of realized that we weren't getting, you know, very accurate timelines and very accurate information. So the fourth week of school, um, I called them. And so this was the last week of September. And I called them and I said, hey, you know, uh, this is a problem for me. And I want to make sure that you guys are on this. And I spoke with the assistant principal and um, you know, he said that he would absolutely talk to Lucas and then he would bring Lucas down to the principal's office and they would look at the tapes from the bus um, to see if they could figure out which children were causing the problem and exactly what had happened. Um, and I was clear because I know my kid and I'm sure I'm probably going to get flack for this, but I know my kid. I know that he has a tendency to embellish when he is upset about things. And I know that he's not a very good historian, as I've already said. <laughs> so I was very clear with them that I was saying, you know, based on his actions and the way that he's um, exhibiting shame is kind of what we call it. Um, something is going on. I don't know to what extent. I don't know how accurate this information is because he's five. Um, but something is definitely going on. And I need to, if nothing else, get to the bottom of exactly what it is. And they were very responsive, like, yeah, absolutely. We're going to, we'll get, we'll get the tapes. We'll talk to the bus driver. We'll figure out what's going on today. We'll let you know what's going on. Um, so apparently they did do that. And I asked, I found out from Lucas that he had gone down and he watched the tapes and he showed um, the assistant principal who it was that was bothering him and so on and so forth. Um, and then I waited because I figured that they would come up with a plan and then contact me. Um, so I called on a Monday midday. And on Thursday, I called back and I said, you know, it's been three or four days. I kind of just want to know what's going on. You know, I know that you guys had a quick meeting with him. I know he talked to you. I know the bus driver, you know, appears to have had a conversation with you, but I'm not seeing anything different. And whatever was happening is still happening. He's still coming home upset. He's still coming home exhibiting shame behaviors. Um, he's still worried about going to the bus. He's asking us every day if he cannot go to school because he doesn't want to take the bus. So something is still going on. Um, and what was interesting is when the secretary put me through to the assistant principal and he answered the phone and I said, you know, hi, I'm just calling to follow up. And he goes, oh, you're calling about the incident that happened on the bus this morning. And I was like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it's three o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday. I haven't heard from you since Monday. What's going on? And he goes, Lucas punched someone in the face today on the bus oh. and no one called me. Um, because apparently it was a, a very busy day on the buses. There were some absences from bus drivers. There were some absences with the people that normally handle the busing, um, with the onboarding and offboarding of the buses. So apparently, um, the principal had handled it on the bus and passed it off to the assistant principal. 
and they both thought the other had contacted me and no one had. <laughs> so it took basically everything that I had to not rip them a new one. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the long story short is that uh, a child was sitting behind him on the bus and they leaned up over the back of his seat and they made a scary face at him, which is something that he genuinely does not like. Mm -hmm. For some reason, he really does not like when people make scary faces at him. Funny faces, great, no problem. Scary faces, absolutely not. Um, and he punched that kid in the face. Um, and the school was very quick to point out that they needed to make sure that they were protecting the other children from him and that they were keeping the other children safe from him and that this kind of behavior couldn't be repeated. Um, and But what was interesting is they didn't have answers to the, the what I felt were the important questions, which was, was this child that he punched in the face one of the children who had been bullying him ongoing about his backpack? Oh, we don't know. We'll have to look into that. Okay, great. I want an answer on that. And I want it tomorrow. Like I need to know tomorrow mm -hmm. what's going on because I'm not putting him back on the bus with these kids unless you can tell me. Um, and, you know, I also asked um, if he had told the child to stop. And the first answer I got was, no, he didn't. He just hauled off and punched him in the face. And uh, so then I said, well, how do you know that? And they said, well, that because that's what he told us. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I 100% I because I've been punched by my child. There's a reason why he has a home behavioral health aid to be able to support him and be able to work with him on handling his impulse control. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen how he can get. I know his history. I'm 100% believe that this happened. I'm not questioning that. Um, but I I want to make sure that you as his educators handled it appropriately. So I was like, did you have someone on hand who spoke to him in accordance with his IEP? And that answer was no, no, we don't know the information of his IEP. And I was like, okay, well that's something we need to change. Um, apparently he was questioned on the bus by the principal. He was hysterical. He was screaming about how sorry he was, which checks out to his behavior. Mm. Typically he, he's going at lightning speed. Um, he's dysregulated, but for some reason, and he's going at lightning speed and then he does something he shouldn't on accident or as an impulse. Um, and that is what it takes to put the brakes on and no matter, uh, no amount of asking or telling or chiding or reminding will help him put the brakes on until he has unfortunately crossed a line because he's five and he's still working on this and it is an area of opportunity for him. Um, so that's basically what happened is he, he punched this kid and then immediately that brought him back to himself and he flipped out and spent the rest of the bus ride in hysterics, um, apologizing to this kid repeatedly. And that's how they found him on the bus when they questioned him the first time. And then they brought him into the school later in the day. They brought him down to the principal's office again and talked to him again. Um, and they they basically said that he wasn't complying. He wasn't answering. And they didn't really seem to understand what I was saying when I suggested to them that, you know, he's being evaluated for an anxiety disorder. And I know that if, if it's me and I'm a grown ass adult, if I haul off and punch somebody in the face because I'm, you know, out of control or I'm not in my right mind or I'm overwhelmed, if I'm having a panic attack or something and I punch someone in the face, and then someone sits me down who is a figure of authority to discuss that with me. I'm, as an adult, going to say whatever it takes to get out of that space because that's a stressful space for me, mm -hmm. especially if you're talking to me in terms that I'm not, I don't want to say comfortable with, but that I don't respond to. If, you know, if you're asking me questions in a way that I don't understand and I don't know how to answer, I'm going to say whatever I think you want to hear to get you out of my face. Mm -hmm. Um 
And that is something that he has an area of, that's an area of opportunity for him. That's something, you know, instructions and, and responses and communication with authority figures. Those are things that are in his IEP. Um, and so it was a huge, 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 huge problem that resulted in several back and forth phone calls. Um, and I had to explain to them, you know, they kept saying, well, he made a bad choice today. You know, this is, he's a kindergartner. It's a, it's a kindergarten thing. They put their hands on each other too much. It's, it's an impulse thing. Um, you know, he made a bad choice. And I kind of kept having to hammer home. Like, I don't think you understand. He didn't make a choice. He reacted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you are in a circumstance where every day you go to work and you are being harassed or um, bullied by your coworkers, after a time, you're going to go into work expecting to be bullied and harassed. And you're going to go into work anxious. feeling on guard yeah. and feel exactly and feeling anxious. And you're going to be less likely to think before you react in a way that's going to get you in trouble. And when you're five, that might result in punching a face when that face is five inches away from you and making a scary face at you. <laughs> um, and thankfully, the other child was not hurt badly. The other child apparently was very nonchalant about the whole thing and accepted his apology and you know, agreed that it wasn't appropriate to get in his face and make a scary face. Um, And it wasn't his fault, honestly. You know, he did a thing that five-year-olds do and my five-year-old didn't handle it well. And that other five-year-old had no way of knowing that. Um, The bus, the bus driver and the school should have known that. Um, They should have goddamn bus monitors on those buses, Mm -hmm. but they don't. Um, So the, the resulting plan um, to supposedly keep other children safe from him and also to supposedly to lessen the impact of the bullying is that uh, Lucas has an assigned seat now. And when he gets on the bus, there's the seat directly behind the bus driver. And then there's a seat across the aisle from directly behind the bus driver. Mm -hmm. And he sits in that seat by himself every day to and from school. And the other kids have to sit further back um, with the exception of a girl who has a more um, profound special need who sometimes has an aide that rides with her on the bus so she also sits in the front Um, and she's super nice and he thinks she's great so that's helpful at least but she is not often on the bus so he sits up there by himself and he gets on the bus and he sits down and he turns himself and he looks back at the kids that are in the back of the bus and in the middle of the bus and when he is on the bus on his way home and the bus pulls up he's sitting in the bus um, in the front seat, turned around, looking at all the kids who are in the back, climbing over the seats and laughing and playing and talking to each other. And he's sitting up there by himself. Um, you know, their first attempt was to take his backpack away. And his the first plan was that when he got on the bus, they would make him put his backpack up front with the bus driver um, and she would watch it for him. Um, like that somehow wouldn't make him even more stressed out Mm -hmm. that his prized possession would be taken away from him and put on display at the front of the bus so that these kids could tease him about it and he wouldn't even have control of it. Um, and I think that ultimately is what led to the, to the face punching. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and this was the next step, I guess they, they felt it was appropriate. I don't understand why he has an assigned seat and nobody else does. Yep. Um, because I'm thinking about, um, so there wasn't a bus system. I grew up in a really small town. There wasn't a bus system um, after I moved there. But I spent my first couple of years in school in a much bigger town. And we did have a bus system. And there were buses where every child had an assigned seat. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why just one kid 
has this like yeah <sighs> i don't either um and i've i've raised that to them and i i kind of i kind of acquiesced to the idea as it was going to be implemented as a temporary solution um and i have a feeling that their long-term plan is to kind of say oh well because there's been no more incidences we want to keep it this mm-hmm. way um and i'm still debating how i want to handle that um the other issue with the bus with him is that he has sensory overload issues mm-hmm. specifically related to noise um and what was interesting is when i told the school you know when he punched someone i said it's very possible that he was dysregulated and their response was well there's only you know 13 kids on that bus that so, you know we don't know if they were stopped if they were moving we don't know if they were talking we don't know if there was music so we have no way of knowing if he was dysregulated um to my to which i said you know this is my child and i know that when i put him in a car when it's just me and him and there's no music and we're just driving and there's nothing going on, he can get dysregulated and he can start singing to himself. He can start doing self-soothing behaviors because he's dysregulated from the movement of the car, from the noise of the other engines, from the, you know, the visual of the other cars driving by and from horns and from brakes and so on and so forth. Um, he can get very dysregulated very easily. And they kind of brushed that off and didn't seem to want to hear it. Um, and then when he got home and I asked him about it and he came off the bus and he, he didn't want to talk. He didn't bring it up. He didn't bring it up at all, which doesn't surprise me. Um, and I got two questions out of him um, because I very genuinely wanted to see what he would say to me compared to what the school was saying, which is that they were saying that he decided to punch this kid in the face because he didn't want him to do that and didn't say, stop it. He just told him, he just punched him in the face instead. Um, so when I asked him and he said, you know, I heard you, I heard something happen on the bus today. And he said, yep, you know, this boy leaned over my seat and made a scary face at me and I really didn't like it. And I hit him and I was like, okay, and and then while I was kind of starting, he said, and I couldn't tell him to stop. Mm. And I didn't even get a chance to say, why didn't you? He said, I couldn't tell him. And then I just kind of said, okay, well, how come you couldn't tell him to stop? And he said, it was so noisy on the bus. And I, I was so upset and it was so noisy and I just hit him and it was an accident. And I'm really, really sorry. Um, and he, and then he just burst into tears and he was really upset about it. Um, so we talked a little bit about wearing headphones and getting some soundproof headphones, which we're working with his therapy team to see if we can get, um, a pair of the good quality, you know, soundproof headphones that are, don't look like crap Mm -hmm. (laughs) and don't fall apart, um, through his therapy plan, through our health insurance, because that's why we have it. Um, and that's kind of in progress. And so he immediately was like, oh, I could use my Hello Kitty headphones. And then just the look on his face between himself figuring out a potential solution of I have these headphones that are just earmuffs. I could wear these earmuffs on the bus and then it wouldn't be so loud. And then I wouldn't be so upset when I when these kids aren't nice to me. And then this thought process from those kids are going to make fun of my earmuffs because they have Hello Kitty on them. Um, And he on his own went from, oh, I have these headphones. I could wear my Hello Kitty earmuffs and like started running towards his room. And then he just stopped and he walked back in and he goes, I don't think I should wear those because I think those boys might not be nice to me about it. And so I think we should get new ones. And I was just like, if that's what you want to do, that's, we can do that. And it's just like each step of this whole process has just been like chipping away at these parts of me that I'm, 
like it's one of those things like, yeah, I can look back at my experience and I can say to people like, absolutely, let your kid be yourself. And I can stand up to my own family, to my own friends, my own coworkers and peers and whatever and say, yep, I'm going to let him do whatever he wants. I'm not going to make him get a different backpack. I'm not going to make him you know, change how he is or who he is because that's who he is and that's how he is. And that's 100% okay. And he does not need that kind of negative pressure from us. Um, But hearing him as a five-year-old, you know, shut himself down because of his fear is just heartbreaking. Um, And man, do I wish that it stopped. I wish that that was the only part of the story that was like that. Like, you know, seeing him every day get off the bus and seeing the look on his face when he gets off the bus and seeing him yell down the bus to his friends that he hangs out with at school, that he hangs out with out of school and have them not answer him. When a week ago, before the school segregated him, he was sitting in the middle of the bus, talking to those kids, playing with those kids. Those kids' parents were calling me, trying to set up a play date so that they could get off the bus together. And now nothing. He's not talking to those kids anymore. Um, And not because he doesn't want to, because the bullies are allowed to sit with those kids and he's not allowed to sit with those kids. Um, And it's just the whole thing is, is heartbreaking. And you know, we, we told the school, like, look, we're not being stubborn about this. You know, we've offered to get him a different backpack. And he has said, no, he does not want one. Um, and kind of behind the scenes, his dad had actually ordered him a backpack as just like a backup to have, because typically he runs, you know, he's, he ruins his backpacks pretty quickly. Uh-huh. He's pretty aggressive with them. Um, and his dad had ordered him a really cool, badass uh, Minecraft creeper backpack. It's really cool. And coincidentally, on the day that this happened, and he had, you know, been like, oh, hey, and I just wanted to let you know, I got him this backpack and I'm going to show it to him, but he doesn't have to use it. And then we found out that this had happened. Um, and his dad and I, you know, try very hard to co-parent together. And I think we do a very good job, honestly. And I'm going to humble brag about that. <laughs> um, I think that we do a good job co-parenting together as a, as a divorced couple. Mm. Um, and he and I agreed that we would not give him the backpack, that we would kind of just put it in storage until he asked us for a new backpack or until he indicated that he wanted a new backpack. And then we would have it ready to go mm-hmm. um, to the extent that his dad was willing to even bring it to my house and let, let me store it at my house since he's with me five days a week so that it could be a literal, OK, you don't want this backpack anymore. That's no problem. Here's this new backpack. Mm-hmm. We've got it ready to go. And we just kind of hang out. We hung on to it. And it's just like the the school is doing this weird dance of not telling us that we should get him a different backpack, but reminding us that as long as he has this backpack, these problems are going to continue. Um, you know, to which I very carefully responded that even if we got him a different backpack, he was still going to want to have his clip-ons. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a chance that the next pair of shoes he gets might be another pair of sparkly purple Converse's or, you know, that he might want to wear a dress to school again. And what are you going to do then? Right. <laughs> like, if this is your reaction now, what's going to be the next step? Um, so we agreed to do this whole giving him an assigned seat thing for two weeks, um, to see kind of how things went. Um, and unfortunately three days into it, um, I'm probably going to cry. I'm not going to lie. Um, so three days into this whole having an assigned seat on the bus thing, um, 
there was Columbus Day weekend and the school was out on Monday and they had a half day on Tuesday and his school does late start. So the bus comes at 11.15, the school starts 11.50. Um, and so we were outside waiting for the 11.15 bus and he had been having a good day. Um, he had put up the typical, I don't want to go to school. Can I just stay home? You know, I don't like school. I don't want to go, mm-hmm. which every five-year-old does on a fairly regular basis to my understanding. Um, we we're standing out there just kind of hanging out and all of a sudden I'm like looking over and he's just kind of looking down and he's just, his whole body language is down. And so I just kind of was, you know, Hey, Hey buddy, what's, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And he starts crying and not the typical five-year-old, like, I hate everything. Like, you know, he was just sitting there kind of quietly trying not to cry. And he was just like, I think, I think maybe I should have a new backpack. Um, I'm going to cry now. Um, And, so I was kind of asking him why. And he was like, because I think maybe if I have a new backpack, those boys on the bus won't be so mean to me. And they just don't like my backpack. And I don't know why. But maybe if I got a new backpack, they would stop. And he was like, so then he just looked up at me and he was like, I think I want to have a new backpack now. Um, so I just kind of, you know, we ended up sitting on the side of the road and just like both of us crying and, and hugging each other for like 10 minutes because the bus was obscenely late. And, um, you know, I just told him like, we can get you a new backpack. That's fine. We can, we can do that. Um, and he was just like, I really don't want to ride the bus today. I really don't like these mean boys. And I don't want to, I don't want to go on the bus today. Can I just stay home? Um, and it wasn't, it was like no longer that typical five-year-old, I want to stay home and play Minecraft all day. I never want to go to school again. It was like a legitimate, I don't want to go to my school because I don't want to take a five minute bus ride with these boys who are so mean to me. Um, for no reason <laughs> because no one's stopping them and um so i we we decided that we were going to go in and we decided that i would drive him to school and we you know i called the school and i told them that they needed to make sure that they had the the principal ready to talk to me as soon as buses were done unloading and um we we packed up and I got the baby up from her nap and threw her in the car and i threw on my galoshes and <laughs> didn't even bother to brush my hair and we went through a parent drop-off and I went in and sat down with the principal and I was like, you've got a week, you know, maybe two weeks to figure out a solution for this because this isn't acceptable and we need a better, we need a better plan. And so we're still kind of waiting. I mean, it's been, it's been about two weeks and they've looked into some other, um, claims, I guess, that Lucas made that were issues of him not being a good historian, but that raised to me the concern that he's reliving these these issues. Um, you know, he's saying yesterday this happened when in reality it's something that happened a week prior. Um, and he's just reliving it before he gets on the bus and he's reliving it in the morning when he gets ready for school. Um you know, he he has chosen, we gave him a new backpack and every day both backpacks sit right in the same place and he has a choice every day of which backpack he wants so that he knows he isn't being forced. He's not, he's, the choice isn't being removed from him. Um, so every day he's chosen to take his creeper backpack, but he's still, he's, he split up his clip-ons. So he has his uh, rainbow dash clip-on on his creeper backpack and he has his Hello Kitty backpack with his Hello Kitty clip-on. And um, day two of that arrangement, he 
got in the house and he threw his backpack on the floor and started trying to rip his rainbow dash clip on off of his creeper backpack because these dumb boys were telling him they were going to rub his rainbow dash in mud on the floor of the bus on a rainy day so that it would be ruined um because the school doesn't want to do anything about this um and that's kind of where we're at we you know that just happened like um a week ago yesterday i think and so now we are waiting to have a follow-up call by the end of this week with school to figure out you know what they want to do and um in the meantime i you know his therapy team was able to put me in touch with a family resource center that just opened in our area that is hosting um support groups for parents of transgender and non-conforming teens which is really great because there's never been one offered in this area before so nice. um they're gonna they're gonna get some resources together for us and we're gonna go um you know his his dad and his stepdad and i or at least myself i know are gonna go to that and um I'm kind of quietly building support outside of the school in our community so that when I unleash all hell on them, if they push me hard enough, um, there's going to be a lot of voices in our corner, hopefully. So it's just kind of like a one day at a time thing. And, you know, it's just it's so heartbreaking to to see him choose things every day based on whether or not he thinks his day is going to be ruined by these other kids who are apparently being infinite free passes because the school feels that they can't do anything about the bullies until or unless there is a pattern of bullying that has been established. Um, but they also don't have any way of monitoring whether or not there is a pattern because there's no bus monitors and they're not allowed to have one apparently. And there's no pattern that they can establish because Lucas isn't good at, at being a historian. And because their solution was to make him sit by himself in the front of the bus without these other kids around. And yet somehow they're still making comments to him. They're still laughing at him and making jokes enough that he's still talking about it every single day. And every single day he doesn't want to go on the bus. And every single day he's asking us, you know, if he can get a ride to school and like on a daily basis i'm like haunted by the scene that happened outside at the end of our yeah. driveway with my five-year-old saying you know or maybe i don't have to get a new backpack maybe you could drive me to school every day and pick me up from school every day so that i could keep my backpack because i really like my backpack but if i can't do that then i guess i'll get a new backpack because then those boys will stop being mean to me um because nobody deserves that. No. <laughs> like, nobody deserves that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's completely understandable. Um, wow. So I'm wondering if, if this, um, the support group, um, do you know if, if they have, like, advocates who can help you work with the schools or who can even just, like, go into the schools? That's basically what we're kind of looking at okay. next um, between his therapy team. And it's it's kind of it's tough because part of his therapy team is is in line with us with like, we need to fight this. Um, part of his therapy team is getting to a point where they feel like we need to take more control and we need to encourage him to make choices that will take the negativity off of him. Conform to society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's but the, their phrasing is, you know, we need to encourage him to not put himself in the negative spotlight. 
Um, and the way that I'm, the way that we're dealing with it now is we've kind of changed tactics and we're having the conversation that we had with him when he wanted to wear his dress, which is, you know, we sat him down and we told him that there might be some people that are mean to him. There might be some people that don't understand and that those people are wrong. Um, and every single day we're just reminding him that those boys who are mean to him are wrong and that there's nothing wrong with him. And that there's absolutely it's not okay for those boys to mean to, to be mean to him for no reason um, and trying to remind him that there's nothing wrong with him and that those boys are the ones who are wrong and bad and mean and that he's not in trouble and he's not doing anything wrong and he's not bad or different or anything. And we're just kind of trying to reiterate that to him as often as we can. Um and we have given him a new mechanism for when he's on the bus for whenever he feels like someone's being mean to him and if he doesn't like it and he feels like he can't or or as adults what we would describe as can't tell them to stop but in his world just means he can't stop himself from punching someone Mm -hmm. um which is that he has to clasp his hands together and squeeze them together really really tightly and pretend that he's squishing something that's gonna pop um so he can focus on that until he feels like he can tell them to stop doing it um or he can cover his ears and squeeze them really tight until he feels like he can tell them to stop and that's that's all we've got for right now we're just kind of working on one coping mechanism at a time (laughs) yeah that's basically where we're at (laughs) that sound effect pretty much encompasses it okay so what i'm gonna say is um i have a lot of i don't have a lot of listeners but i have listeners from a very diverse background of a lot of different people listening to the show um so if you have suggestions for nicole if you have kids who have been in this situation um if you were in this situation growing up go to less than or equal.com um i have a contact form there if you have suggestions um please let us know i will forward that all on to nicole um please yes (laughs) at this point i'm like you need a lawyer. Like you really need a lawyer. And I'm not, you, you need someone who can go to school and be like, look, you know, like yeah. this kid is being bullied. This five-year-old is being bullied and crying because of a backpack. And your solution yeah. is, well, let's put him in a bubble and the other kids can continue to bully him. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Because it's not a pattern, apparently. It's not yeah. a parent pattern when it's happened enough times that, that my kid is traumatized by it, basically. You know, and I think part of the problem is that these, for lack of a better word, older white men who've never been bullied before, mm-hmm. um, they, A, don't recognize how traumatizing it is um, and for kids or maybe are, I don't know, dissociated from how traumatizing it is. Um, but that they, um, I completely forgot where I was going with this, but that they basically have just kind of like divorced themselves from the empathy that they need to have for this. Um, and I will give the school system a lot of credit in that they are implementing a new program in their education curriculum that has to do with social and emotional communication, wherein each child will learn I think it's a color-coded system so that they can start communicating to themselves, their peers and their parents and their teachers um, 
what kind of place they're in emotionally, um, wherein there's going to be structured curriculum that discusses, you know, when you're happy and you're feeling good and you're feeling empowered, that it's a green moment. And when you're feeling sad or angry, it's a, a red moment. And if you're fearful or unsure or embarrassed or, um, you know, cautious, I guess, then it's a yellow moment because you're not sure how to, how, where, where to go next. Um, and that you can, you know, if you are a child who's struggling with the ability to communicate with someone um, clearly, you know, at that age, age K through K through two, um, which is pretty, pretty prevalent that you can go to a teacher, you can go to a peer or a bus driver and say, I'm feeling very yellow or I'm feeling very red and I need, I need some help or I'm feeling very green today. And, um, that they can use that as a way to talk to their peers. You know, you're making me feel very yellow right now. You're making me feel very red right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad that they're instituting that kind of program and it's, I'm sitting here basically just like screaming at a brick wall. Like, why didn't you implement these programs 10, 15 years ago? (laughs) You know, why are these programs taking so long? Why are they not already mandated? Why are books and curriculum that support differences and diversity not already standard? Why do I have to ask the school if they can send home a permission slip for their children to read a book about a boy who likes a dress, not a boy who's transgender, not a boy who's discussing the details of gender reassignment surgery or anything, you know, that would go beyond a level of just a preschooler talking about another preschooler and a thing that they like. There's no difference in Jacob where Jacob's new dress compared to Jacob likes his trek. Right. <laughs> There's no difference. There's no difference between Jacob wants to be a ballerina for Halloween and Julia wants to be an engineer when she grows up. Like right. there's no difference. And the fact that these kinds of things are not standard is not only mind-boggling but it's infuriating. Um and the fact that like I've been I've been on the cusp of being able to uh, impact change at this school district through the help of the parent teacher association and I haven't like it's a hundred percent on me. There's a group of people who are able and willing to put the effort in and they need someone who's willing to like be in charge of that process. And a phone call needs to happen that I haven't had time to make because of how much stuff has been going on with our family and with our, you know, my significant other's job situation and with the kids and so on and so forth. And it just, I haven't had the time to make that phone call happen. And, you know, when you're crazy busy and there's a million things going on a a day, Oh, I'll call them tomorrow turns into, Oh my God, it's been six weeks and I still haven't made that phone call. I understand that. (laughs) Um, So it's like, you know, I'm, I sit here and feel like this is partly on me that I haven't made that phone call and, and been able to put more in, but at the same time, why is it the responsibility of a group of five or so parents to get together and say to the school that we demand more. Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't the schools and the states and the, you know, the legislature and the the leadership in this country focusing on not just saying we are going to have zero tolerance for bullies, we're going to have zero tolerance for racism and, and so on and so forth and prejudice. Why are they not just saying those things? Why are they not actually implementing things like, like diversity mandated education and like diverse reading materials on the reading lists and so on and so forth. And I can't wrap my head around what it would take to make that happen. 
um, yeah. without being a stay at home mom who could devote all of my time to that. <laughs> Does someone yep. want to pay me to sit at home <laughs> and do that? Cause I will gladly, I will post my PayPal information somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think about too, instead of, you know, instituting these types of programs, uh, inclusivity, diversity, um, you know, I, I think about school shootings and, and yep. that these, these types of programs are ways to maybe not get, you know, stop that kind of violence entirely, but alleviate at least some of it because a lot of it stems from, you know, well, men feeling privileged and disgruntled when they can't get a girlfriend, but also, you know, things like feeling left out and coming to this point where, you know, people just break and, yep. And so, yeah, we've, we have to have education that teaches, you know, boys that they're not entitled to girls and that, you know, that teaches boys on the bus that it's not okay to, to tease a kid about a, a, a rainbow dash zip zipper pull, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, you know, and, and instead of doing, taking those kinds of measures, we're having lockdown procedures, you know, shooting drills where we're making kids sit in closets quietly. And it's it's just absolutely baffling to me that we're treating the symptom and not, not at least part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I think part of the problem too, is that there are so many simple, easy things that could be done to impact and affect change in those areas. But a big, huge part of the problem is that the people who make the decisions on those things are typically old white men and white straight cisgender men. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at these problems and saying, these are huge problems that we could never possibly impact. We could never, never solve these problems. So we shouldn't even try because it's just a bandaid on a bullet hole. When in reality, mandating that every kindergartner in this country has a part of their curriculum devoted to language that includes normalization of things like same-sex couples and things like transgender people and transgender experience and so on and so forth. Things like race-based discussions and discussion, you know, Lucas said to me today, they're doing a thing at his school. They're doing a buddy walk, which is great. And if you're not familiar with a buddy walk, it's, it might be something that's Massachusetts only. It's a, it started as a fundraising activity where um, people with members of their family who had Down syndrome would gather up all of their friends and they would do a parade style walk, not necessarily a marathon, not as, you know, anything like that. Just like a two mile, everyone makes cool shirts to support each other. They do raffles, they make a carnival community event kind of thing. It's, it's a pretty big deal. And it's like a celebration and also a fundraiser. And that has evolved to become more of just a raising awareness celebration kind of thing. And so they're doing a buddy walk at the school and they're inviting kids to bring in money of their own. And they specifically said it can be a penny. It can be a quarter. It can be a dollar. It can be a hundred dollars. It doesn't matter. But we want a child to have a conversation with you and understand that if they bring in a penny, that's their own penny. That's them saying to their friends in their school and their community who have Down syndrome that they support them and that they support the need for those people to get a little extra help sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then as a school, they're going to have a parade through the school and it's just a buddy walk within the school and they're going to have classroom discussions about what Down syndrome is and so on and so forth because they use integrated classrooms. They don't have segregated special needs classrooms anymore. Um, 
And we have a close family friend who has Down syndrome, who's actually about a year older than Lucas. And when they were littler, they spent a lot of time together. But um, because of our respective family situations, they don't get to spend as much time outside of school together. Mm -hmm. But they went to school together. Their classrooms were right next to each other and they still are. They're in the same grade Um, because uh, the individual with Down syndrome had to be delayed a grade to be able to keep up academically. Mm -hmm. So they're in the same grade, which is great. And so... um, I had a conversation with him because we've never addressed with him the fact that this girl, we'll, we'll call her um, Mary, um, has Down syndrome. He just knows that she's a good friend and that they spend time together and that she's a, she's cool to hang out with. Um, and so we have his old, his shirt from the last buddy walk that we participated in that says, I'm Mary's buddy and it's all decorated and it's got cool stuff on it. And I was asking him if he would want to wear that during his, during the school buddy walk. And he was all excited. Like, yeah, I can tell them, you know, it says right on there that she's my friend and she's my buddy and I love her and she's great. Um, and so I was talking to him and I was like, do you, what's a buddy walk? And he was like, Oh, I don't, I don't really know. And I was like, okay, great. (laughs) And, uh, we talked about, you know, what it is and what Down syndrome is. And in the process of trying to uh, gather his understanding of what his friend who he already knows who has Down syndrome, what differences he perceives in that individual, he right off the bat, instead of addressing that said, my friend, uh, let's call her Julie. My friend Julie has brown skin. And he was touching his face and he was like, she has brown skin. And I was like, yep, she does. And that's just the way that she was born. And that's just the way that she looks. And that's totally normal. And he was like, oh, okay. And then kind of like went back on the track. But I've seen parents in our community because there is like a 99.9% white person population here, we're a very whitewashed community. Mm-hmm. I've seen parents instead of saying, yes, you're right so-and-so does have dark skin or so-and-so does have certain kind of hair or so-and-so does have certain appearance or so-and-so does have a prosthetic arm or whatever. We can't talk about that. Like, oh, we don't talk about that. Like, and oh my God, what are you doing? No. (laughs) Like, like, and at this point, if like, it kind of goes back to this whole thing of like, you would not tell an 18 year old, no, you can't drink and drive. Um, but if you get, if you drink and drive and get caught, we're going to take away your license and you'll go to jail forever. As opposed to telling them, here are all the millions of reasons. Here's the education, blah, blah, blah. This is why you can't. We would just tell them if you do it, you'll get caught. You'll go to jail. You'll lose your license, et cetera. That's what we're doing to kids. When we (laughs) say you can't bully someone. And if you bully someone, you're going to get suspended, but we're not going to teach you how not to bully people. We're not going to teach you the basis of understanding and inclusivity, et cetera. Like that's the opportunity, you know, all these, all these anti-bullying laws and rules and policies, they're basically just a big old smokescreen to make everybody feel better. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not going anywhere. It's not helping anybody. (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, part of, part of the issue is like kids these age put on my, this is, this is me putting on my early childhood development cap. Um, (laughs) so, so kids these age, um, are just, I mean, really like seven, eight, nine years old. That's when, that's when we kind of in Western society anyway, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or a brain development thing. I think it's a brain development thing, but don't quote me. But, um, that's when kids are really starting to learn that there is a world beyond themselves. Yes. You know, and, until that age, everything is about them, right? They they don't mm-hmm. they don't think about consequences to other people for things. That doesn't mean that we don't start talking about it and don't start like normalizing things. And yep. the fact that 
that it's 2015. I mean, today, the day we're recording this is Back to the Future Day. Damn it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, like we, we, we're living in the future. We are beyond the future now. And yep. we're still, we have this stigmatization by, uh, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Ostracization? Uh, yeah, or even just omission, like ignoring it. Yep. You know, you were talking about, oh, you know, she she was born without an arm. She has a prosthetic arm. You know, that's that's just how it is. It's fine. You know, oh, her mm-hmm. skin is a different color from yours. Oh, that's fine. You know, we don't talk about those things. We ignore them. And instead of saying, yep, that's how, you know, people are different. And, you know, okay. And yeah, it's a problem. You know, and I think it's something that we, you know, that's why the show exists. Part of it is because we don't talk about these things. And kudos to you for that. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's like, how can we make things better if we're ignoring them? Yep. You know, how how can we normalize things if we don't talk about them? We can't. Mm -hmm. We can't normalize things that we don't even think about. We can't normalize things that we're not aware of. Exactly. And, you know... I don't know where I was going with that. But. And I think that these kinds of like, no, I think that, I mean, I think that's really it. I don't think, I think, I think, you know, is basically the end of all things that involve this whole, this whole circumstance is just like, ugh, you know, <laughs> that sums it up so perfectly. Um, like, I think that there's a lot to be said for the fact that, um, you know, in our society over the last couple of years, um, you know, the issues that transgender people face have come into the spotlight more. Mm -hmm. And that has created a lot of awareness, not just of the transgender issues, but also of the idiocy that the cisgender community can have around transgender issues, which a lot of times is not. And and again, I'm not a transgender person. I cannot begin to claim that I speak for them. I cannot begin to claim that I am, you know, the end all be all of opinions. Um, this this statement that I'm about to make is a, a personal opinion that I have developed after speaking to close friends and, and family members actually that are transgender or identify as non-binary who have discussed with me what their opinions are and I agree with their opinions to the extent that I feel I am able to mm-hmm. as a cisgender person. So as a cisgender person, I feel that a lot of my peers who make socially inappropriate missteps um, based on their wording choice, based on the questions that they ask, based on some of their reactions when they aren't sure what to say. I feel that a lot of those missteps are not typically based in hatred or fear or anger or confusion even. Um, I feel a lot of times, and I've fallen into this myself, that there's a concern that we don't want to say the wrong thing sometimes. And when I say we, I mean, I'm only speaking for myself mm-hmm. and the people whom I have spoken to about this directly, no one else. Um, and I can't even speak for them directly. So really just me. <laughs> this is such a minefield. Um, it, it is. And I think that's part of it is yep. it's a minefield. And I think that there's been times where I have reacted to something from a place of what I was feeling was genuine support and empathy and wanting to be a good ally and wanting to be a good friend and support and being told that that my choice of words or my choice of reaction was inappropriate and not helpful. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly helpful for me to know. Absolutely. Um, and I, I fully agree that it's no one's responsibility to teach other people how to 
react to other people. It's not a cisgender person's responsibility to treat, uh, you know, to teach someone else how to treat cisgender people, just like it's not a transgender person's responsibility to teach cisgender or any other person um, how to handle and or treat transgender people, because the bottom line is that we are all people. And I think the bottom line is that when a person reacts to someone, another person in a way that that first person doesn't like or doesn't feel is appropriate, then in that conversation, in that moment, we need to be able to have the personal accountability to say the way that you've reacted right now to me feels disingenuous or feels wrong or feels like maybe you don't understand exactly how your words impact me. And I want to explain to you why that is Mm -hmm. from my perspective. Um, And I think that these kinds of minefields that we're currently trying to navigate in this exact conversation or that I'm probably stuffing my foot in my mouth trying to explain these kind of minefields, these kind of conversations wouldn't need to happen if starting in, for example, let's say, let's magically say that starting in 2016, all schools in America started to have required curriculum that discussed transgenderism and discussed, um, you know, racial differences and non-binary gender and atypical gender preference and, you know, disabilities and so on and so forth, mentally and emotionally and intellectually and physically more directly. Mm-hmm. Instead of waiting until people are in their 20s and are willing to say things aloud to other people and then piss everyone off (laughs) because of ignorance and not because of, you know, intentional hatred or whatever. And like, it's so it's one of those like chicken and egg. I feel like there's never going to be a resolution for anything until we start looking at where it all begins, which is that the schools have as much, if not more power over children and what they learn than the parents do. Mm -hmm. Because as much as a parent's going to try and teach a certain agenda, the schools 100% have the ability to override that or to at least plant the seed of, right. of difference um, or, you know, options. Right. <laughs> and they have so much power, they're not using it. And they're certainly not using it for good. That's for damn sure. Um, and like, it's such an area of opportunity. I wish that that was something that we could reasonably expect to see change on. And it's just so hard to watch this whole thing be a cycle that's about to perpetuate itself again. You know what I mean? Like, well, and well, and and the issue is a part of the issue. And like, I have no education on this. Like this, this is me thinking, but schools were created to, um, to make people into interchangeable parts. You know, it's like Henry Ford's, uh, the, uh, God, (laughs) my words are gone tonight. Henry Ford's assembly line, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have the person who specializes in putting, you know, the hinge on this particular door and the person across the way puts the hinge on another door. And and that's what they do. You know, they're, they're interchangeable. People are interchangeable parts, just like the, the parts are, you know, dedicated. God, I'm breaking this down. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm awful at thinking out loud, apparently. So, but you have people in roles, right? And we want to be able to put people in in whatever roles. Like, oh, you've graduated from high school, so you can do this thing, this thing, this thing, and that thing, like right off the bat, which is not true. But you know, that's that's the goal of the education system. The goal of the yes. education system is not to celebrate differences and encourage differences and creativity and different ways of thinking about things. It's putting cogs out into the world that can fit in all sorts of different um machines 
Yes. And, um, you know, and that's why there's the emphasis on standardized testing, why <sighs> creative, um, creative endeavors um, get underfunded, art programs, music programs, you know, what have you, is because those don't test. Yep. Those don't create people who can fit in, you know, the human sized hole. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to get Ugh. mail. I'm going to get email. Yeah, you but. are. <laughs> oh, man. We had a whole tangent on a recent Let's Play episode where we discussed mansplaining and feminism. And basically halfway through it, someone in the chat was like, ah, the YouTube comments on this are just going to be atrocious. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, you're right. Oh, YouTube. <laughs> Never again. Oh, YouTube. Um, but I mean, like, that's that's kind of like a whole thing. Like people on YouTube are the way they are, because when they were in their formative years, no one took them aside and said, hey, little Johnny, everyone's cool. Yeah. Everyone is allowed to be who they are, because I feel like right now the the majority of people I would probably say who even have Internet access like ages 10 and up right now the majority of them are on a path if they haven't already arrived to being either subconscious or unconsciously biased or racist or to being outright and blatantly um, biased or racist against a whole bunch of classes of people because nobody has spent the last 20 years actively trying to promote normalization of differences. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we don't figure out a way in the next couple of years to prevent that from repeating itself, then we're still going to be here in 10, 15 years saying, God, everything has gone to shit and we, there's, it's just such a big problem. We can't fix it. You know, yep. it's really hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Yep. And it's really, really easy to teach young children how to be accepting of one another. <laughs> yep. <laughs> really, 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 really easy. Yep. And I can't go like the school won't even tell me the names of the kids that this not even the first names so i can't even have a conversation with lucas about which of the couple of kids was the problem today because i don't know their names and neither does he and they won't tell him their names oh, and these kids haven't not. introduced themselves to him and they're like well we can't discuss it and i was like did it occur to you that you should sit the three or x x amount of them down with lucas and discuss with all three of them or however many of them and lucas the consequences of bullying and why it's not okay and have have the school social worker or the school psychologist and their teachers have a quick sit down with them because these kids are old enough to have that kind of conversation like if mm -hmm. i'm able to say to lucas the reason that you are not allowed to play with guns and the reason that you are not allowed to play games that have guns where you could shoot people is because that kind of action hurts people and when he comes upon a game like that, like Lego, Lego Jurassic Park, and we see him doing that because he thinks it's funny. And my response to him was, why are you uh, why are you shooting that man with your dart gun? And he was like, because when I shoot him and he dies and he explodes and it's funny. And so I asked him to look at me and I was like, Lucas, do you have a daddy? And he's like, yep. And I'm like, would you like it if someone shot your daddy with a dart gun until he died? And he was like, no. And I'm like, well, what if the man in that game has a little boy at home who doesn't want you to shoot him with a dart gun until he dies and explodes? And he was just like, I'm so sorry. And I was just like, okay, like, like you're, you're not in trouble. I just want you to think 
that if you like and people people have given me the aghast like oh my god you would say that like yeah if he's gonna play a game that is rated e for everyone or that is rated low enough that we feel comfortable playing letting him play it that allows him to use any kind of weapon to harm another human or animal i'm absolutely going to have a conversation with him about the repercussions of that action Mm -hmm. because it's all too easy when virtual reality comes around in the next couple of years for him to have the experience of doing that firsthand and then for that to translate into his day-to-day life especially a kid like him who has impulse control Mm -hmm. like it's a real issue and i feel like if people were willing to have that conversation 10 15 years ago maybe that's one less school shooting maybe that's one less person who picks up a gun and walks around and shoots people for no goddamn reason because maybe that person would have thought about the empathy and the lives that are lost because maybe they wouldn't watch movies where hundreds of people are shot down for no reason other than blockbuster entertainment. Maybe if each of those movies had taken a second to show, you know, that random store clerk who got gunned down for nothing but comedic entertainment, you know, maybe that person's mother or daughter or husband or wife or sibling or best friends would be shown, you know, and how that person's loss of life affects them. You know, that's not a far cry from how my five-year-old boy is being a different person than he was four weeks ago because these dumb boys haven't been taught that their actions have consequences, not just in the form of like, you're going to be disciplined, but have actual consequences in the way that they're changing another child's life. Like the first thing that everyone says about him when I meet a teacher or someone who works with him is he's so loving. He's so empathetic. He's so funny. Everyone loves him. He's so great. He's so awesome. And that is very, very true. That is exactly who he is. That is what we love about him. And these kids have made it so that on the bus, he's not that kid. He's the kid that punches people in the face. Like, And it didn't take a whole lot for him to get there. And, you know, it's obviously it's a very fine line between a kid who's happy and well adjusted. And that fine line is someone else treating him like his his opinions and things that he likes don't matter and aren't valuable and aren't correct and aren't right. And it's like there's no easy fix for that other than starting young and hoping for the best. (laughs) In my opinion. I'm sorry. I, I it's had, not your fault. <laughs> I had hopes for the school year that it would. Yeah, me too. Not start out this way at the very least. <sighs> yeah. I mean, and I also have kind of in my back pocket, I'm hoping that we can work his IEP. Oh, so this, so here we go. We'll come full circle and that'll be the end. And then I promise I'll stop talking. <laughs> so do you agree or do you have an opinion that a child who's lifestyle or whatever you want to call it, a child whose ingrained preferences create a situation where they are being bullied and ostracized by their peers constitutes a need for an individualized education plan portion that addresses that from the school. No, I think that the school needs, as we've talked about, I think that the school needs at the very least each classroom needs to do empathy training to some degree. Yeah, I I do not believe that it is because that's basically saying this is a problem with the child, not that an IEP indicates like a problem, but, you know, like th- that's what it's saying, that that it is the child's responsibility to conform. And I'm sorry, that's just no. No. Well, see, and I think that maybe the reason why I because so I, and I agree with you 100 percent. I think that maybe where I'm looking at it is that 
this child, for example, is already being impacted to the extent that his That's, education yeah. is suffering. So I feel like maybe it's maybe it's a, a a combination of the two. I feel like maybe the existing children who are experiencing a negative impact from bullying with their education should absolutely be entitled because I see the IEP less as an indication that there's something wrong with the child and more as an indication that the school needs to put a little extra effort into that child yeah. to make sure that the school is maintaining that child's education as they are legally obligated to do. So, so yeah. And now that you say that the, the way, the way to do that in a way that I, I would be comfortable would be not this child needs to have, be the only child on the bus with an assigned seat. It would be, yeah. <laughs> This child has needs such that um, in order to facilitate a uh, a welcoming, safe environment, the classroom needs to be educated about. Yeah. Or things like, you know, this child needs to make sure that the school social worker is checking in with the various educators to make sure that there are no issues going on that the child's not reporting, you yeah. know, that this, that, that, you know, circumstances, for example, like we're hoping that there's a way that we can skew his IEP to accommodate a need for him to ride the special needs bus, which is not the same stigma that it was 20 years ago right. when he had to ride the short bus and he went to the spit class, which was what everyone joked about. You know, now for him, these kids that are on the special needs bus, which is a smaller bus that's quieter, there's more adults on it. These are kids that he went to preschool with because they use integrated classrooms it's it's not a especially not at this age it's not something that could make him made fun of more right. in my opinion it would be the lesser of two evils i would rather have him go on an entirely different bus than have him sit at the front of the bus by himself yep. and be ostracized from his peers for no other reason than that his peers were bullying him yep okay i changed my mind yes i do <laughs> so funny <laughs> i'm malleable um i do no you you've convinced me i i absolutely um i think that that's something that might need to happen that's i mean and that's yeah. i i was curious because i know you have the background of the education stuff and that's something that i've said to the school is i basically said you know if you had a child who had a speech impediment um, that's not necessarily something that would get them an extensive iep other than for example speech and language therapy right. um but if that child was being bullied because of their speech impediment, you wouldn't make an accommodation in their, in their IEP to make sure that that was not continuing to happen because that's something that could absolutely Im indicate and impact their education. Yep. Like, and that was the whole thing when we just had his IEP meeting a couple weeks ago, the question that the administrators asked was, do, do the needs expressed here by the teachers, by the parents, by the cetera, do the needs expressed um, prevent or present an issue that would prevent him from succeeding in a traditional academic environment without some kind of intervention or additional support from the school. And that was the end of like, that was, if the answer to that question was yes, Absolutely. then he qualified for services. And yep. I think that when you have a child who's being bullied for something that's out of their control, that's not a result of their actions that were choice-based, but that are a result of their ingrained pr pr um, preferences or tendencies or skin color or whatever, then absolutely the school needs to be making accommodations to make sure that that child is accounted for and supported because otherwise their education will suffer. Um, it's yeah. I mean, if I was a stay at home mom, if I had the, if I had the money to not have to work full time, I would 100% be on the school committee petitioning, you know, the state house to make like this a part of the education reform in the state or nationally, because I think that it's something that is going to hurt children without it. A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Ugh.
Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just, my heart breaks for Lucas. My heart breaks for you. It's, Thanks. you know, I was bullied. So it hits really close to home for me. Me too. Um, and, and it really sucks that I'm, you know, 33 years old, close to, and things haven't changed from the time I was five. You know, that's, it, it's, uh, Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really the only way of summing it up. And it's yeah. interesting is that like talking to people about this who have not been bullied, they're just like, oh, you know, kids will be good. Boys will be boys. Like, okay, sure. Great. Shut your f*** right. off. Um, <laughs> like I, I lived it. You lived it. I know a lot of people that lived it. And it's really interesting talking about it with people who did not live it because they have a completely different perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of the older white straight cisgender males who are in positions of authority in these schools have not experienced it. And until they experience it or until they have a child who experiences it, they don't have any interest in trying to solve that problem. Yep. And I think there's also, they're also jaded, you know, it's just like, yes. oh, well, I've been doing this for 30 years and this is how we've done it for yep. 30 years. And mm -hmm. yep. yeah, it was, I mean, it's really interesting to see how the schools are and are not changing. Like the fact that um, in his school district to discuss anything that involves a sex, a same sex relationship, anything at all, be it a storybook, be it a news issue, be it a project that has to do with same sex relationships in my town school district, a permission slip has to go home to the child of every student in the class, giving permission to discuss quote unquote sex education because anything pertaining to gender studies or homosexuality is considered a part of gender education or sex education. And the child's parent has to sign a permission slip for any and every time that that child comes in contact with that kind of content, not just a blanket at the beginning of the year. Hey, we're going to discuss things like this. Is that okay with you? No, a specific project by project, book by book, every single thing has to be signed off on and if enough parents say no then the school has to prevent that material from being taught at all in that classroom if a small portion of parents say no then those children are not allowed to come to school based on the parents preferences so if it's a 14 year old who actively wants to learn about gender identity and their parent says no on the permission slip that child is not allowed to attend school on that day that is my town's school committee and school policy. That is my understanding of it. If I'm wrong, by all means, let's have someone from my town school committee give me a call because you'll know who I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> if some if someone in my town is listening to this and you know otherwise, by all means, let me know. But this is my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a broken system. It is. It's, it is. So, and maybe maybe there are <sighs> programs I'm not aware of that are helping to address this and um yeah. in which case i'd really like great. to hear about it yeah <laughs> me so. too yeah so if you have feedback if you know about uh things like this uh, again less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form um yes please nicole how can people find you uh, I'm on Twitter at Sorient underscore Nim, which I believe will be in the show notes Absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm a jerk and I have a really difficultly spelled Twitter. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's really it. Okay. Um, that's, that's my easiest way of finding me. Well, you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. 
if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, uh, again, go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. I can't do it unscripted, y'all. I know I've said it like twice. If you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you could leave a review on iTunes or more importantly, just tell somebody, somebody about the show. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal.